Welcome to SkyCast episode 38, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 6, episode 9, What You Take With You. So, was this the best episode of The 100? Um, I don't know if it was the best episode of The 100. It certainly has what I would consider the best scene of The 100. Yeah, and um, I think it's the best episode of this season. Which is amazing, considering that two episodes ago we thought... One episode ago. One, well, oh, oh, you two. mean two episodes that we thought it was the best episode of the season? Yeah. Well, it was at the time. It, yeah, it just keeps getting better and better. And yes, last episode was the worst of the season. <laughs> um, but Yeah, it's interesting. I know that we did not like last episode pretty much at all. Um, but I feel like... The I, I, I get what they were trying to do with last episode. They had to like set up everything in this episode. But I think that they crammed too much impact into this specific episode. And I think it would have landed even better if they had spread it out. Especially the um, Octavia plotline versus the Kane Abbey plotline. Yeah. Um, you know, there was just like a lot of emotion there and I think I would have preferred it to really focus on Octavia for this episode and have the Kane stuff in another episode. Um, I just think they could have organized it a little bit differently. Yeah. But, um, overall, like this was a great episode. This was a fantastic episode and I feel great about it. Um, before we get into the recap, please take this moment to go rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us, so go do that right now. Thank you, thank you. And without further ado, let's get this recap on the road. Alrighty. So Octavia wakes up after her trip into the anomaly, but much to Gabriel's chagrin, she doesn't remember anything. To help her get her memories back, Gabriel gives Octavia a concentrated form of the red sun toxin, which is supposed to give her vivid hallucinations. But in her hallucination, Octavia is drawn toward the darkness of her past and ends up chained in the bunker of fighting pits with Bloodrena watching her from above. So, first and foremost, why is Gabriel so obsessed with the anomaly anyway? Well, and that kind of goes with my question of why has he only been studying it for 150 years? Right. You know, because they've been here for over 200. Good point. Um, like, did they not discover the anomaly until... Surely not. 150 it's years ago? It's a giant swirling dew. Like... I, I, I don't know. We don't know if it, like, moves much or we don't know... If that's true. If, if they'd ventured that far out. Um, and as to why he's so obsessed, I have to think that... He became obsessed when he, like, started, you know, obsessing over the, the spiral. I mean, I guess that Xavier's body has the spiral tattooed on it, but I don't know if that's because, like, Gabriel himself just tattooed that because he's obsessed with the spiral, or if, like, Xavier had that tattooed on him before Gabriel, you know, took over his body, or if it's, like, Gabriel only tattooed that recently because he only got the call from the anomaly recently. Yeah. Those are all really, really good theories and questions, and I would like to know. I feel like if I had to guess, I think that he, given that he's been obsessed with the anomaly for 150 years, maybe they really did only discover the anomaly this long ago, or alternatively, that's when the anomaly called him. Those are like kind of my two working. Um, well, yeah, theories. I think those are our, those are the two strongest Um working theories but I'm just curious like what's the deal I mean I'm obsessed with the anomaly wouldn't you be 
people go in, they don't come out. You see like these vivid hallucinations around it about your deepest desires or fears. Like who would not be obsessed with that? I don't know. It's a good point. I feel like he's got a lot of other things to deal with. (laughs) I just don't know if. I honestly don't know if that's true. I feel like the anomaly now is his entire life. I guess. I guess so. I guess that's a good point. And I guess conversely, too, why doesn't Octavia seem to want to know what happened to the anomaly? Like she she doesn't really seem like she's that worried about Dioza or anything that went down. Um, why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I I think maybe at first. The, I'm not I, honestly, I have no idea. Maybe the maybe the anomaly like tries to make you forget and like childbirth like your labor pains you can't remember it um (laughs) I've never heard that before my mom can attest that she remembers it (laughs) that's like scientifically proven that like the oh you you mean like that's why you want to have another baby is because you don't remember how bad the labor pains were yeah but that's my mom remembers how bad the labor pains were (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think every mother remembers how bad it was which only proves that it's probably worse um yeah, anyway, I know. <laughs> sorry, t- tangent there. I'm not sure why she doesn't want to know. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe this is just classic Octavia, you know, refusing to take a moment to reflect. And she just likes to, to mo- move forward and be present. Um, but that doesn't really jive with the rest of the episode. So I'm not really sure. I think it's because she's afraid. She's afraid about what happens in the anomaly and she's afraid to face it. Yeah, sure. Um, which also seems very much... Octavia. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, Gabriel here says that, as usual, the humans made improvements to this moon um, because it didn't evolve past the reptile stage in, in, in Josephine's theory. And I just thought that was a really ironic statement. Like, you made improvements? You call what you're doing, what's happening in Sanctum, an improvement? I just... The, the gall. I think he was saying more of, like, we made it habitable for us. Like yes, I know to- that's what he meant. But the way that he said it, he literally says the humans made improvements, which technically is true, but also, like, humans humans are a, 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 virus? a virus and a destructive force in the universe. That's just sure. a fact. <laughs> I don't think that's a fact for every single person in humanity, but I think as a mass. Yes. As they said in Men in Black, a person is smart. People are dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How long do we think Octavia actually was in the anomaly? And do we ever think we're going to find out about her time there? Uh, Well, I do think we're going to find out about her time there. I don't think we can get out of that. We'd better find out about our time there. I wasn't sure because Pike um, later on in the episode says, like, maybe you're not supposed to know what happens. And I'm like... I want to know. Yeah, I don't feel like they would televise and make this so dramatic and suspicious if um, if they were not eventually going to reveal to us what happened. So I do think we're going to get it. I think it's been, I feel like it's got to have been like six months. I mean, Gabriel does say that her hair is longer. And yeah. we don't know what powers the anomaly has. Like the anomaly maybe just like snapped yeah. his little, you know, green fingers and gave her a longer hairdo. But um I I I'm really curious now, like what she's been doing this whole time. Maybe just her and, and Dioza were raising hope and living their best lives and maybe when you go into the anomaly you forget everything outside of the anomaly. Maybe. And I you don't, don't ever want to come back because you don't even know there's something to come back to. Yeah. 
Maybe. But Gabriel did say that she was running from something, running out of the anomaly from something. So I can't wait to find out what that is because I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, no, I, I'm really operating in the dark here, but I'm excited to find out. <laughs> um, there are a lot of really great film and television references in this episode. Um, one of them happens in this scene. Um, Octavia chooses between the red box and the green box which is a matrix scene when uh, or reference rather to when Neo had to choose between the blue and the red pills, each one symbolizing a peaceful life of ignorance and the other one symbolizing the truth. Um, I love this callback in this little Easter egg. I think it's a really great um, incorporation. <laughs> and I also feel like it really balances us as podcasters because you always <laughs> say that you'd choose the blue pill and I would definitely choose the red pill. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I also think that just like our, our podcasting styles are, are really in line with that as well, yeah. where I'm always like, well, let's just deal with what's on the page. And you're like, what about what, what could happen? <laughs> um, and also I wanted to mention that, you know, there are a lot of start, like, the, first of all, there are this, the title of this episode is a Star Wars reference, um, but also the colors green and red are seen throughout this episode and used in lighting, and that's a reference to the green and red lightsabers that um, is in the fight scene in Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was really cool. So super digging all of these movie movie tie-ins. Yeah, and about the green and red colors, I mean, obviously, yes, the Star Wars thing, but Octavia does say red light, green light when she mm -hmm. looks at the two boxes, and she goes to the red light, which literally usually means stop versus go, Yeah, but she goes to the stop box, um, which I found really interesting. What do you think drew Octavia to the red box specifically instead of the green one where we hear, like, Dioza's voice coming out of it? I think... Well, the red box was, like, shaking, and it sounded like it was, like, in pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what drew her to it. I think she identifies with that pain, and I think she can't help herself by her curiosity um, because it, it she so relates to it so strongly. Yeah, I, I do think she's always drawn toward this darkness because she feels that same darkness inside of herself. And I think she's also subconsciously drawn toward this because she's got a lot in her past that she's been ignoring and it's kind of like you can't ignore it anymore like you yeah. have to face it and it's you can't ignore it and I'm going to be a blinking red screaming box to like <laughs> symbolize that yeah like you can't ignore me anymore look at me <laughs> Um, speaking of the red box I loved that once she opens it these like hallucinogenic red butterflies escape from it and swarm around her and then as they swarm away she is like fully immersed in the fighting pits um and i just love that it's butterflies again because as we've seen many many times throughout this series the butterfly is really a metaphor for octavia it's her symbol you know it it is symbolizes her ability to transform herself and evolve time and time again and also her beauty I mean she's a, a beautiful woman inside and out and I think the butterfly is like a perfect symbol for her and I love that they are always bringing that back around I don't know if I'd say inside and out she's got some ugliness in there she's got darkness <laughs> but we've seen in this episode that she is capable of getting better and she wants to be better sure I think most people do have the capability to choose light. It's just as to whether they want well, to or will. Not. Yeah. 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 
Uh, so Kevin, our boy Kevin, with his sexy new abs, Woo. is staring at his new body. He hates that all the marks of his past are gone now, but Abby tells him that everything that makes him him is still there inside his mind. Kane isn't so sure. Abby promises him that he'll get used to his new body and things will be better on the ground in Sanctum. So I, I found this scene really interesting because I think it looks at... Abby's belief about what makes a person a person or at least what Abby wants to believe versus mm-hmm. what Kane believes or wants to believe about what makes a person themselves yeah um Abby you know in her mind it's it's kind of all in your head like it doesn't matter what body you're in your if your mind is there you're there yeah it's your memories your memories make you who you are and Kane I think that's like a large part of it for him but I think he also believes that his body holds the physical memories of your life and missing that means that you're missing a piece of what makes you who you are you're not fully complete well yes and I think the matter of how you acquire a new body matters to Kane I think you know so Kane and Abby's interpretation of these missing scars like really effectively demonstrates this like huge gap in their perspective right because as you said Abby sees this as like a new beginning and she's like you're still in there it's all you but Kane really feels like these marks are a testament to all of the circumstances and experiences that he's had in his life. And it feels like to him, the way that this transition has happened, it's like erasing that piece of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a crucial difference, right? Because I don't think either one of them are necessarily wrong. No. Um, But I think that Kane is more close, closer to like a closer to maybe the way I feel about it in this scene, because he, he lacked a choice in this matter um, and because he feels like he's being erased. Um, and I, I understand that. Yeah. You know, I am down on Kane a lot, but I do think Kane is an interesting character. Um, you know, in this scene, Abby says that Kane is the man who found redemption for his sins. But I personally don't know if that's true. And I don't think that Kane really believes that either. I don't. Either. I think that Kane has worked to try to be better, but I don't think that he feels like he has kind of overcome the, the sins of his past. Um, I don't know if he would ever feel that way. I agree. Um, but I do think part of his attachment to these, you know, scars and marks on his old body is that like those are physical reminders of good or bad choices that you've made in your life. And without those scars, you might start to forget in the same way that I think a lot of the primes have kind of forgotten, you know, what it means to be human, what it means to be a moral person because they've cycled through so many bodies that they're like not really human themselves anymore. Yeah. I think that's a great interpretation. I love that. Um, And I agree with you. I don't think Cain has ever felt like he's fully atoned for all of the sins he's committed. And I think it's just another instance of Abby, living in a delusion where she believes that he is finally found his redemption and that this is somehow his reward for it. I was going to talk about this a little later, but I can kind of broach the topic now of Abby. She is or has been at least in the past, very internally strong, but I think the way that she has come to rely upon Kane for like her own salvation and the way she's put Kane up on this pedestal is really unhealthy. Agreed. Because number one, like Kane has his own issues to work out, you know, like Kane is not perfect. Um, but Abby looking at him like he is like this perfect specimen of being, I think lessens her and lessens her 
culpability in some ways and lessens her um, capability of being a functional person on her own, which I know yeah. she can be. A functional person and a person who is like going to exercise her moral rights. Sure. Like, I feel like Kane has become this person who's almost making choices for her or like telling her what the right choice is. And she just like accepts that as fact, which in my, you know, opinion, which not everyone agrees with, Kane has not had a lot of great um, opinions or ideals in the last couple of seasons. He's had a lot of hot takes. <laughs> he has had a lot of hot takes that I, I honestly feel like Abby thinks are like the end all and be all of like moral decisions. But I'm like, girl, like, let's just use your brain a little bit more because there are lots of holes you could poke in these things. Of course, because it's, e- it's much easier for her to like put all of the moral weight on Kane's shoulders so that she doesn't have to bear any of the responsibility for it because she she can't she emotionally is not capable of handling that kind of responsibility and burden yeah um as we've seen over and over again we talked about that last episode it's like you know she's so different from Clark who takes that on that responsibility on over and over again almost like a compulsion she can't help herself Mm -hmm. um and Abby just over time it has worn her down to like a semblance of of who she used to be in her internal strength yeah I mean Abby especially this season has felt so disconnected from like the reality of what's going on I mean she doesn't even know Clark is you know in someone else's or that someone else is in Clark's body yeah she has no idea what's going on it's with just Clark. like I don't know it's it's almost baffling to like look at Abby and look at her plot line this season and be like you know, I, I, I can understand why they created this plot line, I think, but I don't think it was executed well. And we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, Abby, Abby's got to like come to terms with reality again, if I'm going to ever like her. Yeah. I mean, like it, her delusions have like she's continued to allow to live in denial here. I mean, the fact that she can like have Kane with her and they're having this conversation and he is expressing his reservations and concerns and she's like, honey, it'll be fine. Like, let's go have sex and make out because I'm so, you know, we're like, you know, getting our happily ever after. It's like they're not even communicating at this point anymore. They're having two different conversations and Caden knows it. You know, he pulls away. Um, But she is totally oblivious. And that's, you know, that's a choice she's making to not engage. Speaking of Kane pulling away, I just want to say I was like trying not to laugh at the line you taste different because like coming from people who've like actually eaten human flesh, <laughs> uh, like it, it hits a little differently. I didn't even think of that, <laughs> but you're so right. <laughs> so Bellamy is dragging a fighting Josephine further into the woods toward Gabriel. The divide between Clark's and Josephine's mind is continuing to break down. Clark's body's dying. The children of Gabriel show up and take Bellamy and Josephine captive, and while they're chained up, Bellamy realizes that Clark can hear him from inside Josephine's head, and he promises her that he won't let her die. Yeah, okay, we're going to say this a lot, but there's a lot to talk about here. Um, So the first thing I wanted to call out is, despite how much he hates Josephine, he cannot help himself when she comes back from her seizure. He wipes her nose to clear the blood away, and it's just such a sweet little moment of affection you know that it's like a habitual 
gesture that he would do for Clark. Well, yeah, and he's also the caretaker of Clark's body right now. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's just very sweet. I thought it was adorable, and I, you know, it was like, it it wasn't even a choice, you know, it was just an an impulse. I mean, like, he may hate Josephine, but he does want Clark to get her body back, so we've got to be careful with that. (laughs) You were going to say, but he loves Clark's body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, I mean, is it not true? No, it's very true. Um, and I really like how clever Bellamy is in this scene, you know, rem- figuring out, you know, to cut himself and smear red blood on her to make it seem like she's not a nightblood or a prime is, is really smart. Um, it was a good plan until it wasn't. <laughs> that kind of brings back, um, I think it was, yeah, it was last season when Octavia was talking to Bellamy about when they used to play together and one time she like fell and hurt herself and like bled everywhere and then Bellamy like cut himself to pretend like it was his blood so they wouldn't find Octavia and it's just like that's kind of the person that Bellamy is is he's like a very visceral person who like will physically harm himself to protect other people yeah um, and throw himself in danger and I think him and Clark really complement each other in those two ways yeah you know Clark is like the mind and Bellamy's the body um, and I love it I love it too um, you know what else I love? I do. The line, I guess you just care about Clark more. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a lot of that this season. Um, this has been repeated, a mantra over and over again. Alexa said it to Clark in season three. Jordan, Jordan. said it earlier <laughs> this season to Bellamy about Clark. Josephine's saying it now. I mean, I mean, this episode was interesting because Josephine, I feel, called out Bellamy's feelings for Clark so many times but yet it still wasn't directly called out you know what I mean like it's again the writers doing this like whoa 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 can't touch the word love you know which is funny just have to walk right around tiptoe right up to that line and then walk around it it's funny because they obviously love each other even in like a non-romantic sense yeah and other characters I feel would be able to say that without it being like a huge deal but the show is so afraid to use the word love in terms of Clark and Bellamy's relationship that it's like what are you hiding yeah (laughs) well exactly that's the that's the thing is like if it weren't a big deal you would have just done it and it would have gone you know it wouldn't have like you know made such a big splash yeah now because you refuse to use this word it makes it feel like it's a much bigger deal than it should be. Well, and I think, I mean, it is a big deal. It is to me. Especially if in the romantic sense. I mean, Octavia did call it out last season. Um, but I think one of the, the only explanations I can come up with this for this is that they do plan to take it romantic at some point And they're saving that word love for when it's like really impactful. Um, but well, I, don't I would hope so. Well, that's what I like. I don't, I don't know if that's true because honestly, like, on any other show, I'd be pretty convinced in the direction this was going. But I feel like The 100 has convinced us all to gaslight ourselves, like to think of like any other explanation for things and for like, you know, like, for example, Josephine calling out Bellamy several times. It's like, oh, they're just good friends. You know, he just really likes her like a friend. It's just it's it's kind of this the weird way this show is formed and the weird way that the fandom has has become where it's like I have to like. There can't be any other explanation. I have to cross all of those out before I get to the like, oh my God, they're in love, yeah. which is very odd and, and not really the way that I think stories should be written. I mean, as an editor, that's just not the way that I, I look at things. Like, I think if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. And right. I feel like it's there, but. No, it is there. 
but like you're saying, like we're just so trained to be gaslit at yep. this point that I don't trust my instincts and I don't trust the writers to deliver what they have already done. Yeah. So, all right. Mini <laughs> ran over. Well, rant one of... Uh, uh, yeah, we should have said at the top of this episode, there's going to be a lot of Bellark talk in this, <laughs> so I'm sorry. if I don't know why you're still listening to us if you're not a Bellark fan, but... Well, I mean... I, I like to think that we have other good things to say. Yeah, we do. We have, we have hot takes of our own. <laughs> um, completely, you know, doing a, a 180 here. The children of Gabriel. Yeah. How do they actually live? We haven't really seen, like, their day-to-day lives. We see them, like, going on missions to kill the Nightbloods or, you know, they're capturing Josephine and Bellamy. But, like... Where do they, like, sleep? Where do they eat? Are there, like, children in these camps? Like, like, where are they? Yeah, I mean, I think we didn't get, we didn't see their camp. We saw one of their bases where they do their, like, secret operations. Oh, yeah. I mean, that wasn't a base. That was a cave. Well, sure. <laughs> I was being generous. Um, But, yeah, no, we haven't, we have not been permitted to see what they look like in a daily function. So I'm just curious if it's going to be something like um what the Grounders had, which, you know, more of, like, tents or like huts or if they also have some sort of compound that might not be quite as advanced as sanctum but like still has that same sort of like contemporary feel to it in some ways do you know what i mean yeah 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 i do um i mean my inclination given what they what they're wearing is like it would be less structural than that but well, maybe not the way josephine phrased it it sounds like she said that they dress up in costume so this almost seems like they're hunting gear like what they wear to scare the sanctum people yeah um we haven't really seen them just like living you know and i'm i'm sure we're going to get that and i'm really excited to find out more about their little society and i mean i guess it's only like what 70 years old at this point maybe yeah. we don't really know i guess it could be older it could than be that. a little older but speaking of the josephine comment i wanted to talk about her attitude in this whole scene because her contempt for the children of Gabriel, while annoying, is very much in character for her and her narcissism. Um, but I also think it's funny that, like, as usual, she's not wrong. Yeah. You know, she makes some pretty salient points in her little rant. Um, <laughs> which just is, again, so classic Josephine, where she uses the truth to hurt people. You yeah, know, she's I mean, smart enough to, like, manipulate people yeah. with the truth. She doesn't have to make things up. And it is... Not necessarily surprising, but kind of to hear that the children of Gabriel, it sounds like they capture people from Sanctum, like they capture gnolls yeah. and torture them or like try to force them to conform to the ideal that like the primes aren't gods. And if they don't, then they kill them. Like, you know, I, I don't agree with what the primes are doing, but that is seems equally as bad. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, they... She said that, and I have no reason to believe that she's wrong, because she rarely is. Um, but I'm also kind of like, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't dispute it. Yeah, I, they, didn't, they didn't agree, but they, they didn't, didn't disagree. Right. I, so it, it's all very sticky, literally, <laughs> as those people decomposed. Oh, gross. <laughs> um, so after Josephine figures out that Gabriel must be alive if they're radioing to him, you know, Belle... Looks at her and asks, what's your, de what's your deal about her and Gabriel? Um, which is an interesting question because I think in some ways, Josephine and Gabriel are a, are a good foil um, for Bellamy and Clark. They're just a, a less pure version. 
they're like the least pure the version. least pure version but I they're think, almost the opposites <laughs> you know but I think that's a when he's when he asks that question like what's your deal you literally could turn that around and ask him the exact same question about him and Clark. I mean, like, she does. And she does, <laughs> you know, it, it's, she, that's exactly right. So I think it's funny that he's like, for somebody who like refuses to engage with his feelings about Clark, he is very eager to ask someone else about theirs. I mean, it, it's certainly like, like you said, a foil. Um, Cause it brings to mind Gabriel devoting most of his first life to bringing back Josephine. Yeah. Um, and of course, Russell was also a huge influence in that. Yeah, of course. But, um, Gabriel, you know, really did, you know, put 20 years of his life into bringing back this girl that he, I suppose, loved or at least was obsessed with. Thought he loved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Clark and Bellamy have, I mean, they've definitely hurt each other, but they've also hurt other people for each other. Like, if you just think back to... You know, um, the the bombing of Ton DC when Clark yeah. lets the bomb drop without telling anyone. It's because she wanted to protect Bellamy and the fact that he was an informant in Mount Weather. And, you know, even right now, Bellamy is leaving all of his friends behind to go save Clark when they're also equally in danger back at Sanctum. So, yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, I also just love that even with someone else living in her body, Clark still manages to get a zinger in. She just taps out boohoo and Morse code. <laughs> I wish that I could see Clark and see how this was all working. Um, yeah. If she's tapping out Morse code, I guess she must be in, in Josephine's, you know, diner memory. Um, so does she just like hear their voices kind of like in the ether or yeah. is she able to like watch what's going on somehow? Maybe or... it's like the, cause it's like a diner. Maybe they have like, like a, a TV. No, no. I was going to say maybe they have like a, like a radio, like, oh. like loudspeakers. Yeah. And it's like coming through the loudspeakers. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. I don't know if we're going to get to see, I guess we will get to see more inside Clark and Josephine's head next episode. I don't know how like prevalent that's going to be but um I, I would like to see a little bit more of the mind space before Josephine's finally kicked out for good I hope so <laughs> um even if the radios though technically work near Gabriel I was a little surprised that they were so sure their message would be heard immediately because it seems like the way that it's working is it just like either picks them up and feeds them back you know in a cyclical manner or if it like just feeds them back randomly um but how would they know that their message would be the next step in the queue, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much they know about that tent yeah. and how it works. Um, I mean, it must have worked before if they're, like, using this as, yeah. a, as a way to contact him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if Gabriel's always lived there or if he just moved there after stealing Xavier's body. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, and last up, Diosa did say that Josephine only wanted Gabriel for sex. And I think one of the writers who was live tweeting it was like, ah, good point. Jo Diosa like picks this up immediately. Um, but apparently Josephine has convinced herself that she loves him too, which I actually didn't expect. I, I would have thought that she in some way cared about him, but not that she would like admit like, oh yeah, I've just been like in love with him for you know, however many years. Yeah. Um, do we think they were ever actually together? And if so, were they together like up until the day he left? I think they were together. Yeah. I do not think that these two people who are still obsessed with each other 
are still obsessed with each other because they made out one time on a beach. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. They were definitely together. I don't know how for how long. And I don't know if it was up to the point where he left. Um, But I, I do think that they were in a relationship ongoing for a period of time. I do feel like it was like the day he left was when they broke up. Probably. I think that kind of like digs down into some of the like hurt that Josephine feels about this, that like he would just up and leave her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She does seem to be harboring like a lot of resentment about his departure mm -hmm. and not in a way that's like, oh, he betrayed us, but in a very personal way. He betrayed me. Yeah. Uh, And I, I really do hope that we get to find out like what, was the event that made him finally decide to leave because it was 70 years ago. Yeah. I feel like we got to get that answer soon. He and Josephine would have been pretty young at that point. Um, they would have, you know, recently gotten into their new bodies. Yeah. So yeah. Like I, I feel like maybe next episode, that's where we might get a little bit of that backstory. Oh God. I hope so. Yeah. I'm ready. I am too. Yeah. And and I also just wanted to note just a little funny point here that when um, Josie is like, oh, yeah, Gabriel's been trying to kill me for 70 years. Woe is me. Bellamy like nods to her like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get him under, you know, I I get that feeling of him wanting to kill you. Yeah, he's like, I get it. You're obnoxious. (laughs) And if I were him, I'd want to kill you for seven years, too. (laughs) Um, But bringing it down a bit, um, I this let's talk about this last bit of this scene when Bellamy realizes that Clark can hear him and he asks Josephine to let him speak directly to her, which obviously Josephine is not going to relinquish power. So he just talks to her through Josephine and he hesitates and he stumbles around a little bit. And then he says, I won't let you die, which in itself is powerful, especially the way that Bob Marley delivers it. But I think it's clear that that was not what he was going to say originally and that he swapped it in at the last moment. I feel like it is clear that he wanted to say, I love you. But again. Well, I'm going to say that I'm going to say the same thing I said back in season four when Bellamy's like, Clark, if we don't see each other again and then like trails off or, you know, Clark cuts him off, whatever yeah. really happened there. Um I don't think he was going to just be like, I love you. I I feel like he has so much emotion, like, bottled up in his body, like, when it comes to Clark, that he honestly doesn't even know how to express it. Like, it's just, like, too much for him to express. You know what you could do, though? What? You could just make out. I mean, sure. (laughs) That's a way to express it. I'd be down for that. Um, I feel (laughs) great about that plan. If you need tips, Bellamy, just call me up. But I do think he was kind of sifting through his emotions and trying to find something that like both conveys what he needs Clark to hear, but also isn't too personal because he'd be saying it to Josephine. Yeah, too. exactly. So yeah. I don't think just, he wants to say I love you the first time yeah. through Josephine body mm-hmm. um, or Josephine mind. I get that. I totally do. Um, but it, it the way that Bob delivered it, it felt like he finally settled on, I won't let you die. But that wasn't the first thing that he thought about saying. I like there, his just face in that moment where he like paused and just stared at her. Bob Morley is just really incredible. He's a really incredible actor. He really, Eliza Taylor too. Both of their faces were just so good. <laughs> I know. And there, and then, you know, once he delivers this 
proclamation of I won't let you die, you know, he gets, it's so interesting because he gets all flustered and uncomfortable with himself and he gets overwhelmed with this like sudden onslaught onset of emotion and vulnerability and he just like you know needs a moment to like collect himself and he Mm -hmm. stares off into the distance really taking stock of what's happening in the situation and you know the stakes that are happening here he was thrown by the intimacy yes he was a phrase that the hundred writers have said about bellark before many times (laughs) (laughs) he's thrown by the intimacy it's a very concise way of saying it um and meanwhile as bellamy turns away josephine I think we get one of the first few, the few, one of the first or the very few moments of real emotion on her face. You know, she's always so composed mm-hmm. um, and, you know, always so manipulative with the, with her facial features and her struck and her gestures um, because we're, somebody's always looking at her and we never really see her alone, alone. Um, and she just has this look of, it's hard to explain, but I think for somebody who spent the last couple of minutes, you know, revealing that she's in love with this person for 256 years and how hurt she is that he's been trying to kill her for 70 of them. And then to encounter this really genuine and beautiful exclamation of uh, declaration of, of love really from Bellamy to Clark, which is so pure and sincere. I think it was the first time that she really understands these are not objects for her to play with these are not tools for her disposal these are two people who have lives they're intertwined this is what a genuine true love looks like and it is like a her her love with gabriel is just an absolute mockery of the real thing that's right in front of her yeah i mean to put it concisely I think she was seriously disconcerted and thrown by the intimacy as well. Yes, she was. I don't think she's ever had anyone in her entire life look at her the way Bellamy just looked at her. Yeah, I think that's true. Which wasn't even Bellamy looking at her. It was Bellamy looking at Clark. So I think that's kind of where that like feeling of like, what was that? Kind of Well, what was it? And also inadequacy. I mean, how sad for you to know that this kind of love exists but you've never experienced it for yourself. I mean, to be fair, no one has ever looked at me the way Bellamy <laughs> just looked at Clark. That's, nor probably will they ever. That's true. <laughs> no, <laughs> not many people experience that level of intimacy. <laughs> that's fair. On the mothership, Raven confronts Abby about what she did and whether Kane thinks it was worth it. Simone comes in with her entourage and Kane meets Gavin's wife. Kane then confronts Simone, saying that she lies to her people and he storms out. Abby tries to cover for him, clearly upset, and later Raven and Kane wake Indra. Yeah, this was a really great scene. I really enjoyed it. Um, and despite what I have been saying all season, Raven's self-righteousness in this episode was slightly less irritating to me. I feel like she's maybe growing. Um, and I especially loved when she quipped back to Abby, how would you know after Abby tells her that she did the right thing? I thought that was delightful. Um, and I'm, I was on team Raven in that moment. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think the reason that Raven's self-righteousness has really irritated me earlier in the season is because it was mostly directed toward Clark and Clark had at least, you know, apologized and was like actively wanting to do better. Whereas like Abby might have apologized, but she's clearly not actively trying to do better. Like she's doing the opposite. Yeah. (laughs) And so... 
for Raven to be self-righteous in that instance sits better with me because it's not like Raven is wrong in any of the instances. I mean, I understand why she's mad at Clark. I obviously get her issues with Riker and the rest of the primes and I get her issues with Abby. Um, but it, it feels better for me here just because Abby like really deserves Raven's self-righteousness. She does. And I, you know, it, like I'm saying in this instance, you know, it always depends on who's being paired up, but between the two of them, like, of course I'm on Raven's side, not Abby's. <laughs> um, so yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. And I, I thought this interaction was great. Um, I also wanted to call out, I love how quickly I just, I really appreciate when this show just moves the plot forward really quickly. Mm-hmm. I love when they don't waste time, which is why I had such a lot of issues last episode. Cause it just felt like a giant episode of, um, what's it called when you're in water? Uh, treading water. Treading water. Thank you. <laughs> um, but here, you know, Kane's been awake for like a minute and a half that Simone walks in and instantly he picks up on the cult vibes and, you know, almost simultaneously, like reactively decides to dismantle this system starting when? Oh, right now. We're going to start dismantling this in this second. He doesn't even take a pause to be like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. He just goes for it. I mean, that is who Kane is. I know. And for I have better or worse. I deeply appreciate that. And I appreciate the swiftness that the pacing in this episode brings. I have several times deeply not appreciated that. But in this scene, I and actually really this episode, I found myself being like, am I on Kane's side? Yeah. Like, we're, I, I got so, like, confused because I was like whoa what is this feeling so sudden and new (laughs) (laughs) it's the abs man I well actually I I do wonder if part of it was um Gavin and and the actor Grayston Holt or something who played him where I don't have quite the same level of baggage with him playing Kane as I do with Henry and Cusick no I I think that's very true and very possible not that this actor didn't do a great job of like really capturing the way that Kane speaks and his inflection and his um physicality uh but I there was just something about him that felt a little fresher to me, um, which might have been one of the reasons why I was more easily able to connect with Kane. Also, I just happened to agree with him in this specific instance. Yeah, it's helpful when he, what he's saying is is the right thing. <laughs> or at least, you know, in line with my opinions. Right, there right. are, you know, necessarily right or wrong, but for me and, and Kane, we've usually been on opposite sides I feel, of the divide. I feel like in this instance, there is a right and there is a wrong. Sure, that, I mean, that that's probably true. Like body snatching, not is right. Not right. Even if they, I mean, quote, that's unquote, kind of like want it. <laughs> yeah, that's the crux of this episode. You know, was like Abby. You knew this was the wrong thing to do, and you did it anyway. Um, I love Kane's line. I'm not one of the sheep you raised to follow into oblivion. I was like, yes, Kane. I'm I know. Cheering for you. <laughs> like those little racker yeah. hands. I was like, you go, Kane. <laughs> um, but I mean, I do think that him picking up on the cult vibes was like pretty easy because he's in the body of this woman's husband and she's like tell him I said I'm so proud of him and he's like what the fuck he's not in there (laughs) I mean also they were like this is uh Simone hallowed be her name yeah ding 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 (laughs) I mean all of our characters from the second they were introduced to the hallowed be their name sitch they are all like "Mm." nope fishy (laughs) sounds really fishy and I like it Um, so what do we think it's going to actually take to break the Null's faith in the primes? And do we think that's even possible? Because, you know, when you've been raised to believe something, it's kind of become ingrained in your personality. And it's like, 
really difficult to kind of break those bonds. Yeah, it's hard to dis like indoctrinate yourself against those things that you are like you know it's part of like your form the formative years of your life. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's possible, and I think that we saw a little bit of it in this up in this scene actually is when you know, he starts to say when Kane starts to say. You know, he's not in here with me. He didn't go anywhere. That's all a lie. And Simone, like, cuts him off pretty aggressively. Oh, yeah. Um, And she's afraid of this. She's afraid of what that will what, what that will do and what chain reaction that will start with the Knowles. Mm-hmm. Um, and if she was so firm in her belief in their faith, I don't think she would have been as threatened. Sure. That's a good point. Um. I mean, I do. and I oh, sorry, I did not to cut you off. But I just say I don't know if they would have televised it if it was if that wasn't a possible if that wasn't a real threat. I don't know but, if they would have in- included it in this scene if they didn't want mean to imply that it, that it, this was in somehow some way a breakable bond. Sure, but I mean, I think part of that is just because Kane is the newest prime um, and the only one who would you know, break that kind of bond of secrecy about the fact that they're not gods. They're people in little chips. <laughs> they're like basically computers. They're body snatchers. Uh, I mean, yes, they're body snatchers. Um, I do think that it's possible to break some people's faith, but faith is a funny, tricky thing. Yeah. And changing your faith and changing your beliefs is not as easy as just like someone else telling you the truth uh, or telling you something differently. You know, it's like, faith because you have to to, basically to have faith you can't have proof so like even if you're given proof that still doesn't necessarily mean you're going to change what you believe I agree with you it's Um, about believing without proof you know absolutely and I think that's why Indra is such a fascinating and deeply um necessary character on this show because I think the way and we'll talk about this in a little bit but I think the way that Indra navigates faith in the in the presence of proof is really interesting speaking of indra yeah did you see what i did there that was a nice little uh turn there indra is back she's back (laughs) that was great um i i mean i i'm sure the actress just had other stuff going on or either that or the show just didn't have time for her but it really doesn't make sense to me that they've all just like kept her asleep this long you know i love i mean like i agree it doesn't make sense but I also love the idea that, like, when they are in serious trouble and, like, shit has hit the fan, you know, they're like, oh, you know what? Like, we can't allow her to keep napping anymore. Like, she's got to wake up. Well, that's, We need help. <laughs> that's what I think is funny is, like, Raven just keeps selectively waking up warriors whenever she needs I know. <laughs> First Octavia, now Indra. Well, Raven didn't. You mean Dioza. Oh, Dioza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Dioza. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Octavia. Yes. Our... Yeah, well... Man, we are doing so good on our segues today. (laughs) In Octavia's hallucination, Pike comes to her and forces her to admit that she hates herself and more than anything wants redemption for the horrible things that she's done. Bladrena comes into the pit and tries to get Octavia to kill Pike again, but she can't. Bladrena goes to do it herself, but Octavia stops her just in time. The two fight, and Octavia ends up stabbing Bladrena, effectively overcoming her own dark side. Okay, we have a lot to say about the greatest scene Mm -hmm. of the hundred ever written. I mean, I feel like that's debatable, but not for me. Well, I mean, like it's an opinion for sure, but I now hold this opinion very strongly that this is my favorite scene 
the hundreds ever done. I agree. And um, it's I, I uh, it's honestly mind-blowing to me that it's an Octavia scene. I cannot believe that. I think for me, the only thing that would have made this better is if this episode had focused a lot more on Octavia's, you know, emotional journey. Um, they really did pack a punch in this scene. And Whew. I think they were like, they put every single like punch they could into like this, what, like four minute scene here. And it, it was incredible. And I'm so, so happy they brought Mike Beach back to play Pike because I, I cannot imagine a better um, character or a better, I guess, hallucination for Octavia than like him, you know, this person who basically started her on this path to darkness. Yeah, I was going to say, let's discuss the significance and the choice to have Pike manifest here. I mean, I think in the similar way that Clark had all of those manifestations in her own mindscape um, and all of the different figures that of her past that sort of symbolize the different pieces of her, I think in this hallucination, having Pike be her sort of Yoda, <laughs> to extend the metaphor, um, is really fascinating because like you were saying, this is, this was the first time he was, his murder was the first time that Octavia actively chose like to go to the dark side. Yeah. So he says in this scene that, or she says, I'm not here for you. And he says, no, you're here because, because of, of me. Like she is here tied in this pit of her own making really yeah um she's she's literally in her own chains because of the path that she chose to walk after pike killed lincoln and i think it's not just that pike killed lincoln but i think even more so it's the fact that after pike saves her life at, in the last episode of season three she immediately kills him um as he says like killing him in cold blood um she externally or like surface wise is like yes that was the right thing you killed Lincoln a death for a death but like deep down inside very clearly since this is her own hallucination she knows that that was not the right choice to make and I think she's carried that guilt or like that complex um ever since that moment absolutely um yeah I will get more into this in a, in a second keep going <laughs> so one of my favorite lines and this is kind of like where I was like okay, I am ready for this scene is when um, Pike is like, who are you, Octavia? And what do you want? Because I think that is really the crux of all of the discussions we've had about Octavia um, pretty much since we started this podcast. Yeah. Where, I mean, like you said earlier, Octavia is a butterfly metaphor in many ways and she's constantly evolving, but it all goes back to her being the girl under the floor and, and like, she has never really found a place to belong because she was like born into a place where she, you know, didn't belong and wasn't wanted. Um, and so like him, you know, him really though, Octavia forcing herself to consider like, who, who am I and what do I want to be? Like what kind of person do I think that I should be? Um, and not just what kind of person should I be, but like has Octavia ever asked herself, like, what do I want? Yeah. What do I want? Like, you don't want to murder people. I think that's clear. But like, do you want, what kind of life do you want for mm -hmm. yourself? Do you want a peaceful life? Do you want an ambitious life? Do you want love? Like, what kind of life do you want? And you know, you don't have a life right now. Yeah. All you have is vengeance and pain. You're a shell. <laughs> um, so you're a cocoon. <laughs> the fact that like this question was posed to her, it was just such a powerful statement in a, in a question form because it's like, 
you've never even for one second of your life asked this Mm -hmm. you've never you could never afford to nor have you ever given yourself permission to yeah it it was really powerful you guys I have so many thoughts about this episode pretty much every single line that Pike says we're gonna call out (laughs) I I literally we're gonna go through them bit by bit right now because there are they're just all precious gems that need to be called out um so that was the first one and the next one that he goes, you know, because this is just like the pike just goes, goes for the throat. He's <laughs> just no holds barred. You know, he tells her to get to the future. You must go through the past, um, which in a nutshell is basically like Octavia, you need to deal with your shit. But it's such a beautiful way of expressing that, you know, it's like you don't get to just move forward and find your happy ever after in the current state that you're in. In order to move forward, you have to figure out what happened to you in the in the past and you have to deal with it and you need to process it and and heal um which is like again something we've been saying on the podcast for so I mean I think that's why this this scene was so powerful is just because like we have been begging for something like this for Mm -hmm. years and they finally televised it in a beautiful powerful way and it was like everything that I have ever wanted to say to Octavia Pike did yeah you know I I wouldn't have thought of Pike to be the the true uh, therapist that gets Octavia over that. He pump. really is. But like he just comes in on his white horse. And, <laughs> and I love that, you know, speaking of therapists, I mean, it's so great, too, because not only is he the symbol of, the, you know, the moment that she started making bad choices and dark choices for mm-hmm. herself, but he's also a teacher. Like yeah. he is a mentor. He was a mentor to these children and due to his own choices and his own corruption, he was warped into something else. But originally his goal in life was to help kids. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, Pike was a really fascinating character. And I think, you know, we didn't see the best sides of him um, for most of season three. But I do remember later on in season three, really picking up um, some intriguing qualities that I kind of wish we could have explored a little more. Yeah. You know, I, I understand what I, I guess I understand now three seasons later, why Octavia needed to kill him in that moment, just because of what point they wanted her to get to eventually. Um, but I, I do kind of miss his presence and I wonder what he could have become if that hadn't happened. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. He also has a great line where he tells Octavia, we are what we've done and what's been done to us, um, which again is so overwhelming um, in its simplicity and significance. It's a Harry Potter reference. Um, we are in our, your mind. In my mind. <laughs> it reminded me of Harry Potter, I should say. You know, when Dumbledore tells Harry, it is our choices more than our abilities that show us who we are, which is again, you know, you, you are an amalgamation of the things that have been done to you, but also the things that you have chosen to do. And I think this ties in nicely too to the Abby and Kane first uh, scene in this episode where they're kind of talking about what makes a person a person. Um, Because part of this is we are what we've done, which really is our memories um, and the way we've affected other people. And that is kind of Abby's way of thinking of like, you are your mind and you are kind of, you know, your own memories and thoughts. But then also we are what's been done to us, which is not just our memories, but it's also like the the physical and metaphorical and, you know, all the scars that we carry um, in different ways, both on our bodies and in our minds. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of liked how that pulled out that that uh, and, and tied together those two story threads. Yeah, it's a really beautiful. Everything in this scene is so excellently done. 
it's also a really nice contract to, uh, contrast to contract <laughs> a contrast to what Clark said to Finn back in like season two after he shot um, all of those people. Um, she said the things we've done to survive they don't define us, but we've really come to see you know throughout six seasons of all of this that they might wish that were true. Um, they might want to not be defined by their hard choices, but they are. The things that they have done are things that they really have to deal with and actively choose to move past. Um, they can't just like throw them in a little box and pretend it didn't happen. They can't pretend that like the things that we do to survive aren't really us because they are. The things that you've done and the things you've done to other people and the things people have done to you that's what makes up your entire life. Absolutely. And I think that's the, you know, they've, the writers have said that's the thesis of season six yeah. and book two moving forward is like the first book of this show is all about survival and the sacrifices of your selfhood that you have to make in order to survive. And then the second half is reconciling with those sacrifices and compromises you've made along the way and what kind of person you look like and who you choose to become afterwards. Yeah. And that is so clear in this scene and this episode it's beautiful and I'm so so happy the show was allowed to get to this point because as much as I loved all of the survival metaphors and as excited as I got about you know trying to figure out what I would do in those situations and what choices I would make I am equally as excited about this new direction of just like reconciling with your past and and really choosing to move forward and to be better because I think that's what we all want in our lives is to you know just be the best version of ourselves yeah absolutely and I love the like you know emphasis on psychology that we've been getting this season I think the human complex is so fascinating um and the way they explore different facets of humanity in this way in this productive and um progressive way is so interesting and like you said I have I have no qualms about the first five seasons of this ep- season of this series I I love the hundred well, I have few qualms, qualms about but certain I, things but I'm saying like <laughs> you know I very much enjoyed the first part of this yeah. where it was all about the compromises you have to make and the, the hard choices I I'm was all down for that but I am even more excited about digging into the psychology of our characters even more and figuring out how to get them to a place of resolution so that I feel good about the way this show ends. Yeah, because it does feel like we're hurtling very quickly toward an ending. Yeah, it feels like we're getting towards a resolution here. And I can't feel I can't feel satisfied without taking all of these beats with each of these characters, whether it's Clark or Octavia or whoever. We'll get to the rest of them, I'm sure, um, before it ends. And I, I just deeply appreciate the occupation with the with their internalness yeah. of all of it. Um, another amazing line that I have to call out is Pike says to Octavia, um, you've had a rough time of it. That's for sure. It's allowed your dark side to get stronger, which again is a Star Wars reference to the dark side <laughs> of the force. Um, but it also does a very good job of establishing sympathy for Octavia. And there should be, you know, like we were saying before, She's not a monster. Things have been done to her and she was born into a situation where, you know what? There Allowances can be made for, for some of the things that she feels. Not the choices that she makes, mm-hmm. but the way that she feels about certain things. And I like that he gives her that sort of, you know, um, leeway. That little bit of wiggle room there. You know, like, you, yeah, no one's denying your, your trauma or your pain, but we are discussing your choices here yeah 
I mean, that's, that's the great thing is like you, you have these traumas and experiences that you have and it does shape the person you are inside. But I mean, the Harry Potter reference again, it really is what you choose to do with it that makes you who you are and makes your life what it is. And Octavia has made some poor choices. Yeah. I mean, like Harry was, sorry, I'm going to go on a Harry Potter (laughs) tangent. Harry was orphaned. His parents were murdered. He was abused his whole life. He was ridiculed and bullied at school. He endured trauma and pain more than any other student that ever walked through those doors. And yet his overwhelming quality and his choices always came from a place of love and doing better and protecting people. And that is why Harry is wonderful and we (laughs) love him and why I love these books because it is a really, I mean, the reason these books work so well is that JK Rowling like tapped into a, a significant truth about humanity. And that's, this is just one, another way that, you know, the, the, the writers of the hundred have like also are tapped into this vein of talking about the way that we interact with each other and ourselves. And it's really great. Yeah. And I'm also so happy that it is finally called out that Octavia hates herself because I think that might at times be a disconnect between um, a lot of the fandom and the way that Octavia is portrayed. Um, But she really, really hates herself. She hates what she's become, but she doesn't know how to turn it around. Mm -mm. So she just keeps digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, And I like that, you know, before she can really earn redemption, she's going to need to start caring about herself again. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, like you can't help anyone if you can't help yourself. Mm -hmm. It's the number one rule on an airplane. You have to put (laughs) the mask on your face before you put it on a child. Yep, (laughs) And that is a truth for everyone in every situation. Um, we did see Octavia's justifications for the things that she did early in this season and her fight with Kane, um, you know, like why she made the choices she did last season. Uh, but now we get Octavia, you know, through Pike calling bullshit on all of that. All you know, of like she has these kind of surface level justifications for what she did and she might like kind of believe them actively in the moment, but deep down on a subconscious level, she really knows that again, she was just digging herself in deeper and deeper because she didn't know how to to help herself and how to like change her behavior because she wasn't given the proper tools for it. Well, sure. She's reacting instead of like acting. And I mean that in the sense of like an active choice. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a passive aggressive choice rather than an, just an active choice. Mm -hmm. Um, because she's like an abused animal. She doesn't know any other way to be and she's just trying to protect herself. And she just keeps lashing out. Right. But that's not healthy and it doesn't end ultimately it doesn't do anything to protect you. You just hurt yourself even more. I really love the justification here between um, or the difference really between forgiveness and redemption and, and the way that this scene kind of phrases that. Oh, my God. It was so good. And the Pike and that too, that Pike makes Octavia realize that she wants it. Like it's not just like she needs it, but she wants it. Um, you know, we have forgiveness, which she initially says, but that's really about putting the onus on someone else to like forgive you. It's not about something that you have to earn yourself. Sure. But redemption is it's redemption. It's something that you do for yourself and for your own sense of self. Exactly. And again, this ties really nicely in with the Kane um, arc this episode, because I think like we were saying before, he has always been trying to atone for his Sims, but I don't think he's ever forgiven himself or found redemption for himself Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that Octavia hasn't either. 
And I love the difference between this. I think it's a really powerful sentiment and I love that they put it on screen. I think all of this like should be taught in <laughs> psychology class. I'm sure it is. I hope that therapy therapists everywhere just like print this out and I'm like, okay, we'll just go through all of these one by one. <laughs> They're all nuggets. Um, but the line redemption isn't about what you deserve. I think just really puts the cap on all of this because it's not again about like, can you make up for the things that you've done? But it's really about, can you make that step and make that initial step and keep, keep going and keep going and keep trying to make up for the things you've done? Because that's the important thing is to change your behavior and to actively choose to do better. Yeah. More so than like, can you balance the scales? Because really who can say when the scales are balanced or not? Absolutely. It's the difference between filling up a hole or building something new. Yeah. And I really love that difference. Um, Pike reminds Octavia that deep down she truly wants to get better or she would have picked the other box. And I think that is really important because you cannot get better unless you recognize in yourself the desire to yeah. to do better. Um, it's not enough to just be like, yeah, I'm going to be a better person tomorrow and, you know, that's fine. But you have to, like, reconcile with what that really looks like and what that means. You're like, yeah. I want this for me, not for other people, but for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. I mean, that's kind of in, in some ways a mirror of Clark's arc in this season yeah. that I almost wish we could see more of. But Clark, you know, choosing to like that she wants to survive, not just that she needs to survive for her people, but that she wants to survive for herself. Yeah. And I think that's why this episode is just a hairline more powerful than the Clark centric episode, mm -hmm. because I think we fully realized the full potential of what this really means on a personal level yeah. that we didn't quite get to with Clark. I really did love that episode, but I think this does it even better. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Pike tells Octavia that if she cuts him down again, she'll be doing the same thing that she always does, but she expects different results. And what is that except for the definition of insanity? Which, like, how many times have I said that on this <laughs> podcast? We both have. When he said that out loud, I was like, oh, my God. They are they are us. We are Pike. Pike is us. It's <laughs> happening. Like, the catharsis of this, this whole scene was really brilliant. And I love that this is... This is Octavia's problem and it cracks, right? Yeah. She does not know any other mode to operate under. She just keeps lashing out and hurting people and hurting herself and expects to get better from it. Yeah, and it doesn't make her happy, but she doesn't even know what will make her happy. Right, because she doesn't know what she wants yeah. because she's never asked herself that question. <laughs> and we've come for full circle. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, it was so good. But we're still not done yet. I have more to say. Um... We move on from this and Blood Raina walks in and she's like, shut up, Pike. You know, and clearly this is Octavia's like self-preservation yeah. kicking in at this moment because Pike is really getting down to the to the bones. Or it's her surface level justification that she's been using for seasons now. It's her fear. Yeah. It's, well, it, but her fear, I think, in many ways drives both her subconscious yeah. and her consciousness. But I think her consciousness has taken on these justifications as a way to, to say that what she's been doing is right or okay mm -hmm. um, when deep down she knows that it's not. So... Anyway, so Blood Raina walks in and then we get this gorgeous sequence um, of her sentencing Pike to death. And she does so using the same words and the same ritual that Pike used to execute Lincoln in season three. And it's just such a beautiful representation of what Russell has been saying this whole season, which is violence begets violence. And the circle of violence never ends. And I 
loved this demonstration and this expression. It was it was so well done. Yeah, the way that they intercut Pike's death scene with Lincoln's death scene and the way that it basically was a mirror of each other, um, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant move in terms of the cinematography and the writing. Um, and it was so, so powerful because it was this moment of like this person who – you know, is responsible for the death of one of the people that you've loved most in your entire life. Um, But this person is also a complex person with their own troubles and their own, um, you know, potential for goodness in them as well. And for Octavia to have to take a moment to like weigh the idea of, you know, does this person deserve to die just because of what they've done to me? Um, Or am I going to choose to fight for something that I never would have thought I would before, which is, basically fighting for an enemy um, in her mind and, and fighting for herself and fighting for a different way um, than the way that she's been living for several years now, or I guess really like a hundred years if you're counting the time in cryo. I don't. Um, but it, I, it just, it really does air out a lot of negative feelings, both in this show and also like for the fandom too, um, surrounding Lincoln's death and the way that all went down. Um, And I think it does a good job ironing out those issues for me and and helping Octavia to come to terms with what happened to Lincoln, what she's done herself and what she wants to do moving forward. Yeah, I think more than anything, this in the I think in a lot of ways, season three was a a low point of of the hundred um, in terms of perception and public opinion. Yeah. and for very justifiable, valid reasons, I'm not going to get into it. We didn't podcast in season three, and I am so As glad we didn't. Many times, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say that I think the way that the show has treated a lot of the things that has happened inside the show and outside of the show of season three has just kind of been to like let lying dogs lie and to bury it and not not pay, you know, not really examine it too closely in fear of of stirring up all of those um, opinions and feelings again. Yeah. But I will say that, and, you know, I I have a lot of feelings about the way that things went down in season three, but I will say that for me, the way that Pike was brought back in this episode and the way that they dealt with his death and Octavia's involvement with that really was the first time that I feel like the show has – has examined some of the things they did in season three in a productive way, in a way that we as the fandom and a community of the hundred can move forward and give us some closure. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. It took a long time and I understand (laughs) why they were reserved by doing to going back here, but I really, really appreciate the fact that they did. Yeah. For me. I I think it was necessary, not just for us, but really just for Octavia. Oh, for sure. You know, give her a new direction to go in and to kind of like end one arc and begin one anew. Yep. Um, so this was just a wonderful, wonderful point of the show and of this season. And, you know, the moment that Octavia finally stands up to like this literal interpretation of the darkness inside of herself and she chooses to fight, even though she's afraid, uh, that's really the core of who Octavia is. And it's, it shows just what potential she holds for goodness. Yes. If she chooses it. Yes. She um, is good inside. There's a little goodness nugget. Yeah. I, I kind of always wanted to say like, I feel like Octavia is the perfect example of both a Gryffindor and then also how a Gryffindor can go bad. Sure. Um, we don't really see a lot of that in like the Harry Potter books or in that kind of universe, but 
I think that Octavia is, you know, she's so brave and she's so stubborn um, and she feels so just in all of her beliefs. Um, and she's she's so strong, like deep inside, you know, she really is to have survived everything that she's survived. Yeah. Um, but it's also like those same qualities, if you focus them toward the wrong direction, can really take you down a bad path. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where Octavia has been. And I just love the idea that like there's someone who, again, is like a genuinely good person or has the potential to be a good person who we can actively see keep making bad choices and become one of the bad guys, um, even without necessarily meaning to. Right. And I think for all the people out there who like have always said that Octavia is a Slytherin have like fundamentally misjudged her core instincts and her core qualities that make up who she is because she is a leap first. Yeah. Protect (laughs) others. She is the like, living embodiment of Godric Gryffindor. <laughs> um, she's not calculating. She's not subtle. There's nothing Slytherin about her. She is all brawn and brashness. But those things can, you know, you if you're a wounded animal, I, you know, you will treat others the way you've been treated. Mm-hmm. And she has been mistreated a lot. Um, last bit about this. I know we've been talking about it forever, <laughs> but it really merits a long discussion. It really does. Um, so... I'm not apologizing. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to call out how amazing the choreography was between Blood Reina and Octavia. Their fight scene was epic, and it was honestly so good, so great to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for Marie that she got the chance to kind of film like both sides of these things. Yeah. I mean, first off, Marie did amazing in this she, scene. She flexed. That was a hard flex for Marie. I don't think Marie gets enough credit either for how good she is because I think a lot of times the way that Octavia has to behave is so one note. Yeah. But Marie really does have a lot of range like we see here in this scene. Um, a lot of range in her physicality. I mean, my God, like, you know, she does most of her own stunts, yeah. all of her sword fighting and things like that's mostly her. Um, she's just amazing. Uh, also, real quick, um, <laughs> when she... But Blood Reina and Octavia were just, like smack talking each other. I like was getting such serious Lord of the Rings vibes. It was like in the Two Towers when S- Smeagol finally tells Gollum that he doesn't need him anymore and he's okay on his own. Yeah. It was so, I like almost laughed out loud. <laughs> we know the fan- the writers are huge fans of Lord of the Rings, of course, so that was that was nerds. definitely baked in there. <laughs> um, and then. Last but not least, to button up this scene, this perfect, beautiful scene, she stabs Octavia and she says, Blood Reina, no more, which is so powerful. You know, she's not, it's not a like, I beat you or take that or anything that's, you know, sort of derogatory or like a gloat. She's just simply stating the fact that like she doesn't, there is no blood, but Rena doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with this version of this myself. piece of me is gone and I'm moving forward. And I just like Octavia has cut out the infection and she can begin to heal and hallelujah <laughs> praise the writers and everyone upstairs because I have begged for this for what feels like six seasons and I have been to giving so much and I finally get to receive. So thank you. I just like, Oh my God. Whoa. What a scene. And then we have the rest of the episode to talk about, (laughs) which is good. It's also good, but it's not Not as good. good. That was, that was the high point. 
On the mothership, Raven explains that she tried to stop Abby, but Kane doesn't think she tried hard enough. Indra's not as bothered by Kane's body snatching, saying they've all done terrible things before, so this shouldn't be any different. Kane then tells Indra if she doesn't take a stand now, then this new world will be no better than the one they left behind. Raven then realizes that if they float the Nightblood Serum, the Primes won't be able to use it to kill more people. Yeah, so this is another really interesting scene, and I, I, I'm really just digging all the Indra stuff this episode. Um, I missed her so much. But her attitude in this situation and what, you know, the, the, the decisions that, the appallingness, oh my god, I can't speak. Kane's <laughs> disgust with what is happening here and Raven's disgust is not something that Indra feels. Yeah. You know, she, I think it's a really good example of, like, the old way of surviving. She's still in that mode of, like, we need what we, we have to, we do what we have to do in order to survive. Yeah. Um, and she really has not adopted this, like, new style of, do like, doing better, right, do better. Evangelical do betterism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it really shows. And I appreciate that the show is like, you know, I don't think it, every character is just going to be fine with, you know, transitioning just the way Monty told them yeah. to, like, one, two, three. Like, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or can you? <laughs> um, we'll see. But I really did like that Indra's like, I don't, like, we have a situation here. We can be practical and, like, work with it. Or we can get ourselves killed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was actually surprised by Andrew's reaction at first because I, well, number one, she's always so averse to technology. And so I thought, you know, her seeing Kane in a new body because of technology would really throw her and disturb her. Um, but also just because, I don't know, I expected Andrew to become and be like, what the fuck is happening? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but I actually, like, the more this scene went on and, and the, the second time that I watched it, I think I really, it helped soak in the kind of person Indra is, which is exactly what you said. Someone who like, you know, has made hard choices and is okay with continuing to make those hard choices in order to survive. Yeah. And I hope that we get to see some of Indra's transition going forward to like the person that she was to whoever it is she's going to become by the end of this series. Absolutely. And I think it makes sense. I agree with you. I think my initial thought of Indra was that she was going to be like, oh my God, where's my best friend? Yeah. And I also thought maybe there would be some weirdness about like the sacredness um, of the holiness of like a chip yeah. and how close that is to a flame. I thought she might get like a little testy about that, but I do really appreciate um, that they had Indra acknowledge the kind of miraculous nature of the primes. And it is very much in line with her grounder faith, which is a combination of technology and divinity that interplays with each other over and over again. You know, they have proof of the divine in the flame. It's like a manifestation, a digital manifestation of all of the, of the Hedas that have come before. It's not, it's not demanding of faith and the, of no proof, like you were saying before, mm -hmm. but, but in the same but, way, they can't see what's inside the flame themselves. So sure. And they also have built up an entire culture and religion around that, that also, um, demands faith and real and real ritual and all of the, the the trappings of a more traditional religion mm -hmm. um and so i really like that indra who has been in indoctrinated in her own kind of technologically advanced religion um is the one who is able to look at this and say yeah they are gods like this is miraculous it is science but it's also a miracle um and that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it's kind of what we talked about earlier this season, which is like, what makes a god? Yeah. You know, 
they are doing pretty amazing things yeah. with the mind drives and the body snatching. Um, I mean, I personally don't believe that they're gods, but <laughs> it is kind of an interesting question of like, where is that line right. um, between mortality and divinity? Yeah. Um, and I do love that, that Indra also calls that out. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense for it to be her to call that out. Yeah. Uh, they are also clearly in this scene setting up Raven as the next Kane. Sure. Um, you know, the next the next moral center, the next vocal person who's going to stand up and say, like, this isn't right. Um, my question for you is, do you and do we believe it? Yeah, that's a good question. I do feel like, you know, he was kind of like passing the baton or the torch or anointing her, you know, to take over after he's gone in this scene. It felt very clearly like he was doing that. I agree with you. And I think it's Raven could be that kind I think she has the potential to be that person to replace him but she's gonna need to start acting like more of a leader and less of a advisor bystander than she has before because I think one of the the things for good or for worse Kane sticks by his guns (laughs) he does not compromise um and he has ideas and opinions and he is willing to vocalize those opinions and, and act on and them. act on them exactly um and stand by them no matter what in a way that raven has never been able to do so i think you know in this scene she's saying to him you know i tried i tried to stop her and he flat out tells her not hard enough which, which is like exactly what we said last yeah. week you didn't try hard enough you caved to the t- to the tantrum child the toddler, um, and you enabled her. Yeah. And I think that is a this moment where he tells her you didn't try hard enough, I think is going to be what sticks, I hope. Yeah, you know, kind of going on the rest of this scene. Well, first off, jumping on what you just said about Kane, you know, actively sticking to his choices. It reminds me of last season where he was like, I am not going to eat people. Like, this is the, the hill I choose to die on. Yeah. Well, not really, because he didn't actually choose that. Well, but, uh, there was some complicating factors. For a, while, for a while, that was the hill he chose to die on. And that is something that, you know, while I vehemently disagree that that should be the hill you would choose to die on, at least he is being active in the same way that I have always been saying that Raven isn't Um, like Kane pretty much immediately goes on to say, if we let it stand, when we can stop it, then our new world will be no better than the one we left behind, which I think is a great line um, that really encompasses the lesson that I feel Raven needs to learn. And maybe she's supposed to be learning it here. I do think it's a little clunky. And if, if this is where she's supposed to be learning it, I think it's clunky in the way that it was written throughout this whole season. Um, And it could have been done a lot better, but I do hope that at least it sticks and we'll see a change in Raven going forward. I agree. And I don't mean that it doesn't have to all, like, I don't feel like she needs to like fully understand all of this in this moment. I don't need her to be like, Oh, this is what Clint Kane is telling me. And now I'm going to do better. But I hope that, and we can talk about the way that Kane dies in this episode, but I hope that Kane's death becomes sort of a memento for her and a touchstone for her to, to come back to and remind herself in the future of like what, what it means to stand by your conviction and stand up for what you believe in yeah. moving forward. Tiny note here, but Henry and Cusick tweeted that he had never had a scene with Raven before in this entire show. The only one it would have been was when he and Abby were talking at the end of this episode. Um, because like even in the scene with, you know, quote unquote, Kane and Raven, it's really Grayson Holt or whatever his name is. Uh, right. Isn't that crazy? You guys, Brett's my, mouth my is just, face, like, open. I just dropped my mouth open. <laughs> oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. 
I had no idea. I had neither, but like I was going through thinking about it and I was like, I guess so. Wow. <laughs> wow. TV TV shows are so weird. Yeah. <laughs> In the cave, Josephine recounts the weird relationship of... Speaking of weird, that was a good transition. That was. (laughs) (laughs) We are on a roll. (laughs) Josephine recounts the weird relationship of Clark and Bellamy from enemies to quote-unquote besties to who the hell knows what now. Uh, Then the children of Gabriel come back and realize that Josephine is a prime. They go to kill her, but Josephine gives Clark back control of her body and Clark takes them all out like the badass that she is. She tries to release Bellamy, but there isn't time before they're caught. So she runs off to find Gabriel, leaving Bellamy the keys. (laughs) (laughs) Take two. Um, So again, we probably are going to be calling out a lot of lines in this scene. The first one I want to call out is just one look at you and he should have known how this would end. He being Russell and you being Bellamy. Um, This is a line that I've thought a lot about since I I heard it. And I'm, I'm still trying to parse out what we think it means exactly. Um, Not just what it could mean, but what the show intends it to mean, because I think it has several different interpretations. Yes. Well, we we talked about this a little bit offline, but I also stuck on this because I think the way that I would interpret this would be, you know, Josie telling Bellamy that one look at you and my dad should have known that you would never let this happened that you would tear sanctum down for, and a, clark. for clark that feels like the right mm-hmm. that feels like the truest interpretation of this but i don't know if that's what the show meant i don't know if they were you know she was saying something along the lines of you are a less evolved species and so we you know should expect nothing more from you yeah um i'm not sure what the show posits or what they are intending here what do you think I, I was looking at it in the context. So, like, the, the context of this line is that she's saying my father was a fool because he basically put me in this body to save me because of love, um, which, you know, love is what's actually going to destroy us. My yeah. father's choice is what's going to destroy us. And then she kind of turns to him being like, you know, one look at you should have been – she should have known how this would end. So it is really, like, after she discusses this idea of love. Yeah. Um, but it's just, like, there's such a, like – tiny bit of disconnect here um, between I think what the line should mean and what I'm trying to think it might be. I, I feel well, and like... I think this is a good example again of yes. of the show. <laughs> is this where you're going? Yes. <laughs> of like of the show training us to gaslight ourselves because I don't think in any other TV show I would have this kind of quandary about what does this mean. Yeah. It's obvious what this means. Or it should be. It should be obvious but because the show is so trepidatious and tiptoes around the idea of a romantic love for Bella, between Bellamy and Clark that I, I am now trying to conjure up a different meaning because I know that the show doesn't go there. Yeah, it it's like the way that the writers are always just vague enough when they're talking about Clark and Bellamy's relationship that you can't quite pinpoint what they mean or what they want to say. And it gets really frustrating after a while. Oh, does it? I mean, it provides... <laughs> You might say <laughs> it's exhausting, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, because, you know, it like it does provide a lot of fodder for us to talk about. But there's like it comes to a certain point where it's like, oh, my God, just say it. Like Josephine says earlier, just say what you want to say. <laughs> exactly. But also, you know, I think if the show were like very clear in themselves and they're in their um, writing that they want their relationship to be ambiguous, 
I would be fine with that. Yeah. But there's nothing ambiguous about their relationship. It's just that the way they talk about it is ambiguous. Yeah. And that is, that is a very important distinction. Yeah. Because there are a lot of relationships um, portrayed on television and in film and media, all forms of media, where you're like, I don't know what you are, but mm. that's okay because you guys are okay with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. It doesn't have to be defined. This is definable. This is a very clear thing. We just don't use the same words to describe it because we're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> the show's too afraid to go there, right. honestly. Um, <laughs> the next line, now that's a weird relationship. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> that is a that interesting word choice for what this is, but it is, it is weird. <laughs> it is weird, but it is a relationship. That is for sure. Uh, and I also really love Josephine's mocking of the together line and her like little lever pull. Together. Together. <laughs> was one of the funniest things this show has ever done. Because and the, the way that Eliza does it yeah. is so good. Like as like bellarky as I am, uh, I do appreciate mocking them every once in a while. Oh, yeah. Especially because because they're so undefined, they become very mockable. <laughs> well, and their intensity is very mockable. Yeah. You know, like they're so serious about each other. <laughs> and I just, Josephine's levity and lightness that she brings is such a refreshing, um, you know, contrast to the bell arc of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's delightful. It's a really delightful ingredient to throw in this mix. I love it. But still, Josephine, get the fuck out of Clark. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind if you were somewhere else, you know, body snatching or not. I do appreciate you. Yeah, you are in some ways. a really awesome addition to the show. Right? <laughs> um, I am a bit confused, though, how Josephine can see all of this about Clark and Bellamy's past because she hasn't been to sleep that we know of since Nevermind and the events of Nevermind. Yeah, I was wondering that, too, but I honestly just am okay hand-waving it. I mean, sure. <laughs> Some things you gotta hand wave. I think we gotta hand wave this. But I do wish they had been a little bit more clear about how this was working. Um, and maybe that is in some part because, you know, we didn't see what Clark's doing while she's awake. And yeah. so we don't really see how they're able to interact um, when they're both awake in the way that I think that they did film. Yeah. Um, but because we saw when they released those promo pictures, there was a couple of Clark in Josephine's brain – or. Of Clark in her own brain, I guess, that we never actually saw. Um, they may be in next episode. Maybe, but I think it's likely they just cut those. It's it's very possible. To keep things a little bit more vague. Um, but I wish we could see more because I think it's really interesting. And I always get excited about the like practicality of how all of this would work. So Sure, sure. <laughs> I don't care. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I did want to call out, you know, Bellamy's optimism here. It pisses off Josephine. Um, and I love it that pisses her off because I love when, you know, Josephine gets pissed. But I, I do want to call out, you know, I think that she fundamentally doesn't understand that there is no other way for Bellamy to be. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is not a choice for him. Like, he has to operate under the assumption that he'll get Clark back or he would literally fall to pieces. Like, this is a binary state for him. Yeah. There's, this is just pure instinct. Um, so I think it's funny how pissed off she is because it's not like he's just like, doing it to annoy her like this is just who he is yeah like deeply deeply inside of him we didn't point out about the um the, the line that is uh oh it, your relationship is exhausting um I think the show was trying to be meta but I don't think the show actually hit on why I, I think the show like almost made a joke on themselves but didn't realize it you yeah know? well I think they think it's funny 
It is funny. No, but it's, it's not. not. It's funny, but it's not quite funny in the way that they think it is. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like I think they just thought like, oh, we're gonna call ourselves out, you know, for how exhausting the Bellark is. But it's not funny. It's old. It's tired, and I'm tired of it. And I don't <laughs> find it funny. I, I find this line funny. I find Josephine telling Clark and Bellamy that their relationship is exhausting hilarious. I do not find the joke of the writers putting this in here funny. Well, I think the writers, like I'm saying, the writers were trying to be funny by being meta, by like really calling out like all of the highs and lows of Clark's and Bellamy's relationship. Um, And like, you know, when you put them all together like that, it does sound ridiculous. But I think that the writers are like missing that key point of like, it is ridiculous. You've been writing it this way for so long that like it literally is like funny in how ridiculous you've made it. Like yes. it was like a, a self burn that wasn't quite realized by them. <laughs> it was a burn. It was like a burn that they they like didn't know how like they like thought this was like a like a like a tiny joke. Yeah. But it's like a very, very big joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think you know how right you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, I mean, we called out Eliza's and Bob's acting earlier, but the scene or like the moment where Eliza switches between Josephine and Clark and you can see that switch in her face is so subtle, but so good. It was such a great little moment there. And I just, I want to give her all the props for what she's been doing with Josephine because, you know, I really do love this plot line this season. My favorite plot line is still the Anomaly Octavia stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really loving these choices and the way that they've like chosen to explore who Clark is and who all of Clark's friends are and what they want through this like body snatching thing. Um, and I, I haven't like I haven't praised Eliza enough for her performance because it's been really impressive. It is, and I think we do take for granted how how talented she is, yeah. but it should be said over and over again because it's really amazing. Um, and I love I love that Josephine acknowledges that Clark is superior to her in some ways. I did not think that would ever happen. Like her narcissism, I thought would just like be almost like like we've been saying like pride is her downfall yeah and I love that in this moment she's like yeah I need to be able to fight these people off and I can't do that so naturally I'm gonna have to like hand over control to Clark and it was really really good like I really appreciate that they did that yeah you know I think like we've been saying Josephine manipulates with the truth like I don't think she is in denial about really anything any of the choices that she makes or any of like the reasoning of the other people have made their own choices. Sure. That was not clear, but you know what I mean? Like I do. she, she understands. She just might not agree with things. Yeah. Um, but she is very self-aware. Yeah. And so like, except, I, except for the, the fact that she is in love with Gabriel, which I don't think is true. <laughs> well, I think she might be starting to question it now too, but that's, <laughs> that's for another episode. Um, but I, I, I do think that Josephine is the type to realize that like, I guess I need this at this point. Clark has it. So I'm just going to give her my body. Like I, I think it was a hard choice only because she wasn't sure Clark would give her body back, which she (laughs) She, won't. She will not. But but I, I wasn't surprised to see it happen. Yeah, no, I just really, I really loved it. And I loved that, you know, immediately the moment that Clark is back in her body, like Bellamy instantly recognizes her. Like he is so aware of her presence and her body language and her physicality. 
Well, to be fair, too, that she does, like, switch to talking about herself in the third person. So I think that also was a hint to Bellamy. It was. But, like, the way, I mean, like, she, like, his, like, face, I don't know. I The way that they shot it and the way that Bob acted, it was it was great. I loved it. Well, there was, like, a moment when she talks about herself in the third person where, like, he switches from fear to hope. And then there's when he sees her, like, Kick take ass. out all of these people and he's like oh that's my girl (laughs) hey wifey um yeah (laughs) so Clark's I'm not leaving you too felt like a really big moment to me and I almost wish that it were played out a little bit more yeah Um, I wish there had been like a little bit more like dramatic time to marinate with that line just because you know it was such a big deal last season with Clark leaving him in the pit to die and you know conversely Bellamy leaving her on earth to die at the end of season four um they have and, and as we saw Josephine kind of called them both out on it they mm-hmm. have a lot of they have a big complex around that even yeah. though they've you know forgiven each other um so I just love her I'm not leaving you line because it it's going to show like the different direction that they are trying to take as a relationship unit um and because we can't call them a couple well I don't even know what to call them because it's a weird relationship (laughs) and it's exhausting (laughs) uh but yeah so I love that line I love that line too and I I love Bellamy at the end of this you know he was so devastated and so worried this whole episode and then when Clark comes back and hands him the keys you know his whole body is like his face is lit up his swagger is back on you know he's feeling good (laughs) Bellamy is feeling himself so I I just Bob's so great and I love the way that his he like is so in tune with Bellamy that it is expressed in his entire body down to his fingertips well it like turns from this moment of despair to this moment of like pure hope and like belief that like we can do this yeah like I believe that Clark can get to Gabriel and fix this um like uh you know he he's very optimistic in his abilities but you know he's accomplished a lot so <laughs> maybe he deserves to be I and think so does should. Clark I think they both do. Um, Do we think that Bellamy is going to go find Gabriel, Octavia, and Clark in Gabriel's place? Or are they going to have to go rescue him in some way? How do you think they're going to meet up? Because we do know that the Blakes reunite next episode. So I think he's going to go find them. What do you think? I think Clark might reach them and tell them what happened. And Octavia will go off to find Bellamy herself. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure, but that's kind of where... Because I do think the Blakes need to reunite alone first. Yes, that's true. Um, I don't think they're going to reconcile this episode, nor should they. Um, But I do hope that we're going to, like, start making our way back to that point. I don't know if it'll be even this season or, you know, maybe by the end of of the series. It could be that long. But this next episode, I feel, is going to be the beginning point of them um, coming back as siblings. I agree. I'm very happy about it. Yeah. Jade and her team are out looking for Josephine, and as Clark runs toward them, they shoot down all the children of Gabriel chasing her. Then Clark knocks down Jade, only to realize that she can now see Josephine, meaning the wall between their minds is close to failing. Still, Clark refuses to give Josephine control of her body again. Instead, she radios Gabriel, telling him who she is and that she's coming to him. So Clark is just such a survivor and it was so refreshing that this is like the first scene we get of her back because it's like she's in her purest form. And what's more now, like we said earlier, she not only needs to survive, but she wants to survive. Yeah. And it's so, so clear here. You know, she's running for her life. She's not running for anyone else. She's yeah. running for herself. She mm-hmm. really, really wants to live. Yeah. Um, 
And I again, we hear we see classic Josephine manipulation tactics. She relinquished control. Now she doesn't have a body. She's just exists in Clark's mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in order to try and get back control, she starts negging Clark and telling her all of the things that Clark can't do. You know, this is never going to work. It'll be better for you, us to go back to Sanctum. I promise I'll give up your body. You can't drive the motorcycle. You can't speak Chinese. All these things. And I just love that, you know, it's, it's so obvious now how manipulative she is and also clark is just like fuck you yeah i mean like clark's like oh you thought bitch yeah you thought i couldn't drive a motorcycle like (laughs) shut up (laughs) like also though can she just speak mandarin now or is that maybe just as long as josephine's chip is in her brain? i think it's just as long as josephine's chip is in her brain yeah i don't think that she like has like downloaded chinese (laughs) like in the matrix But I, yeah, no. Clark's never giving up control ever again. Not a nice try, Josephine, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Never again. (laughs) At this point, it's either like, I am going to die with you in my brain, or I am getting my body back and you're getting out. You You had your shot. Yeah. You blew it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, though, when Clark calls Gabriel on the radio in that moment when she's like looking at Josephine in defiance, it's honestly both like the hottest and the coolest she has ever been she looks so hot in this scene it was so good (laughs) she is like smoking yeah (laughs) oh my god so i guess it was just that uh josephine couldn't really pull off clark's look but now that clark is back in her body i'm like this is clark yeah like (laughs) bellamy she's got swagger yeah Octavia comes out of her vision and knows what she has to do. It's time for her to fight on her for her own redemption. Before she can leave, she and Gabriel hear Clark's message, and Gabriel convinces her to stay until Clark gets there. Yeah, so I love this. Um, we really see that Octavia is absorbing Pike's lessons, of which there were many, but the, one of the most important of them is that, you know, deserves got nothing to do with it and she parrots this back to Gabriel and I love that you know she wakes up with this sort of renewed sense of purpose and selfhood and optimism which my god have I ever seen Octavia like this (laughs) you know I barely recognize her um and I just I really appreciate that she is you know preaching what she is going to practice I I also liked the way that that interplayed with what she was saying about Gabriel which is I think he'd said, like, I deserve to know the truth. And she's like, you don't deserve anything. Like, I mean, if you don't have the truth, it just means you haven't earned it yet. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's what was so frustrating about Gabriel, which I don't think you and I have actually ever talked about. But he was so annoying in this episode because it was everything was about him and how long he's waited and, you know, how... his curiosity has been baited and all of these things which does not acknowledge the pain or the suffering or the experiences or the trauma that Dioza and Octavia have gone through as well and he just dismisses them so completely and I oh go ahead oh yeah well I just think too what this is basically saying and what Octavia is telling Gabriel is like if you want answers you go in yourself yeah go find them you're gonna have to you know stop being such a coward and find your answers yourself because I'm not gonna give them to you yeah it was perfect chef's kiss um I do love the Gabriel uh he like goes to shake her hand and she gives him the grounder arm grab yeah because it just felt like a nice little melding of two cultures and you know I I joke a lot about like this 
pairing and how like I would love to see it go romantic but I also just really like it as a friendship because I think they have a lot in common and Octavia has now reached a point where she's kind of beyond Gabriel she has surpassed him in one episode the student has surpassed the master it's amazing so Gabriel still has a little bit of a journey to make um but I hope that he lives long enough to make it because I I think it could be really great to see these two come together eventually once they've kind of dealt with their own demons yeah both literally and, and <laughs> metaphysically. So I do agree. I, I really loved that. Um, and I also wanted to call out, you know, once she hears that Clark is in trouble, she immediately surmises that obviously if Clark's in trouble, then her rest of her people are in trouble because without Clark, they're all doomed. Um, <laughs> and then, and, you know, and she instantly knows her purpose now. You know, it's it's what it's always been before she was corrupted it's protecting people. Mm-hmm. It's like the, her true Gryffindor colors are finally flying. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I really am excited to see Clark and Octavia together. Um, I'm not sure how much the show will focus on it because we're already going to have a lot with the Blakes being reunited. But we've talked a lot about Clark and Octavia and their relationship. And it really is always one of the rockiest relationships on the show. But they do both have this like interesting respect of one another um they just very rarely agree on things um so it's gonna you know make sense to me that octavia's redemption would start with clark and with saving clark and trying to find some common ground with her um also plus <laughs> what better way to earn your mother's forgiveness than saving the woman you love you know <laughs> true but so true. uh so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to next episode same Simone and her entourage are preparing to fly back to Sanctum when Indra and her shoulders, shoulders, (laughs) Indra does have great shoulders, but (laughs) when Indra and her soldiers show up, Raven takes the nightblood serum from Simone and Abby begs to be taken to Kane and Raven finally relents. When they reach the airlock, we see that Kane is on the other side of it. Abby tries to convince him not to do this, but Kane doesn't want to live like this in someone else's body. He tells her that this is what he needs to do for both of them to get their humanity back. And then Indra pulls the lever and floats Kane in the serum. Okay. So before we get into the Kane of it all, um, I just briefly wanted to mention that I did, I really did appreciate that Raven ultimately goes against Kane's wishes and lets Abby say goodbye to him because she didn't get to say goodbye to Shaw. And I think that's still very fresh in Raven's mind. And I, I think it makes sense that she would want this for Abby. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a weird um, juxtaposition for this specific episode because we had all of this discussion about Raven kind of giving in to Abby before. I agree. Um, and so her acquiescing here now, I do agree that it's a, it's a lot about Shaw and about saying goodbye. Um, same thing with uh, Finn as well um, because Raven has very rarely gotten to say goodbye to her romantic interests. But um, it, it felt a little weirdly placed here and I wasn't quite sure if they meant it to be saying something that wasn't quite coming across to me um, in terms of like Raven choosing to be the next Kane or, you know, becoming the next Kane, or if it was really just like they accidentally made that connection that probably shouldn't have been made. Yeah. I think it was just like the timing was off. Really? I don't chalk it up to much more than that. I think they, like we were saying that the distribution of, of, um, plot lines between the last episode and this is very heavy in this episode so I think that things just kind of got mushed around a bit I I agree I think it was a poor writing decision just because it feels like the lesson that Raven would have learned this episode would have been more of 
you know, Abby, I'm choosing to make you stay here for your own good. Well, um, so you know, whether or not that would have been the right thing to do. No, no, I completely agree with you. And I stuck on this too. I think the problem is, and you know, I'm not a writer on the hundred, but if it were up to me, unfortunately, what I would have suggested is I would have liked to have a scene of Kane telling Raven, don't let Abby in. And then Raven sticking to her guns and being like, this is, that's the wrong decision here. Yeah. The right choice would be to let her say goodbye to you and give her closure. Yeah. And that would have satisfied both of the lessons there. I'm completely 100% on your side. We should both be writers of the 100. I, I don't want to be a writer. I want to be an editor of the 100. But I think that would have worked. No, I completely much, agree. I think that would have functioned much better than her giving into Abby rather than her standing up to Kane. Especially with the, what Kane said earlier, which is that Raven, you've always known what's right. Um which right. I think is true. Like I think this is true. the right decision. It just doesn't function well within the arc of her standing up to people. Yeah. So they could have just reversed this, but yeah. I'm not sure why they didn't. I'm with you. I'm good. I like that idea. Um. So Henry and Cusick is back. Oh my God. Yes. Sorry. I got distracted. I was thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking about stuff. Sorry guys. This is what happens when I, I get I'm into the, an episode. I, I was just saying her point for her, which yeah. is why she's apologizing. <laughs> Henry and Cusick is back. We weren't sure if he was coming back, but he did. So. He did. And I'm really glad he came back because this goodbye scene would was so much more powerful with him in it. I would have been very upset if we didn't get the chance to say goodbye to Kane without Henry and Cusick there. Sure. Like, not just that, too, but it felt weird last episode when we were thinking that that was the last we'd see yeah. of him. Like, it, the way that they said goodbye to Kane's body felt so, like, anticlimactic, or it was, like, not focused on at all, and it was very odd to me in that episode. But it is clear now yes. <laughs> why they didn't. It's because of this episode. And again, so. you know, the last episode suffered for something that happens in this episode. So, again... That's a little clunky, but I did really appreciate that they brought him back for this. Um, but let's get into this scene because it's been a very controversial one online. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting to me because I am usually like the Kane naysayer, but I really actually did enjoy this scene. And I think the reason that I did enjoy it is because I view this. Well, let's talk about what this is. First off, this is a suicide. Yes. But... I view this the way that I think the writers intended to write it, which was more of like a martyrdom. I just don't think they wrote it properly. Yeah. Um, in the same way that like, you know, Raven's arc, I think could have been done a little bit better, both in this season and in this episode, as you just pointed out. Um, I, I, I think that they meant it to seem like Kane was choosing to like give up this new body um, and this new world because he didn't want to like perpetuate this idea of like godhood and primehood. Um, I also thought it would have helped a lot if there was some reason why like he couldn't let them have this body, um, whether it was like they could make more night blood from like the recently injected serum in his, you know, veins or, or whatever, just some reason that he had to like sacrifice himself because I do think that's a very cane like ending. And I like that for him. Yeah. Um, but I, I think they didn't quite take it far enough and they didn't justify it enough. So it's kind of, it ends up being this like odd suicide that really muddies, I think, what their intention was. I agree. I think it could have been something as simple as him saying, how could I live with myself in this new body that, you know, came from such evil or well, something along those lines that were like, if I... If I am going to dis, 
if I'm going to try and dismantle this system, I can't be a walking embodiment yeah. of what that system looks like. I think there's that. And I also feel like Kane, in a lot of ways, doesn't feel alive anymore. I think like he, in his mind, died along with his body. And this is kind of like a copy of him that shouldn't exist. Yeah, I think it's like he feels like a ghost. Yeah. So like I, I, I think the show meant us to infer those things but they did not put it in the text and that is where like a major disconnect is happening well a disconnect but also a huge disservice because i think anytime that you portray an a character actively choosing their own death which cannot be defined as anything other than suicide you need to be very careful about how you're televising that well it can be defined as something other than suicide if it is sacrifice or martyrdom right but i think the show walked that line a little too finely and didn't make it clear what this should have been and what this was supposed to be. Um, and so we're ended up, we end up with what this is on paper, which is it's a suicide, which doesn't feel quite right for me in terms of number one, how Kane should end. And number two, how this show should be portraying suicide. We had this discussion before with Jasper. I, I think the show did what it could do with Jasper. I don't think it was entirely successful, but they also have to work kind of with the tools they have in this, in the world that they have. Like this is not a contemporary world. Um, we had that issue a couple of episodes ago where Dave, the Josephine's Dave shot himself in front of her, um, which was used for shock value, which I do think we're going to get more on because next episode, the actor who plays Dave is going to be coming back. Good. Um, so I'm hoping we'll get a little bit more of a discussion there about what happened and, and what that meant for Josephine, because as it stands, it felt just a little too like shock, you know, versus yeah. like an active exploration of something. Um, I'm losing my point here, but really it's just that I wish this had been portrayed differently. I wish they had executed it better for sure. Yeah. This really is, though, a cyclical ending for Kane and Abby because he tried to float her in the first episode. Yeah. And now, you know, she's they've, they've switched places and he's basically floating himself. Um, which, again, I think if this had been like more of a martyrdom, it would have felt really powerful. But with the way that it is set up, it's like missing one key point that could really like complete this circle here, you know? Absolutely. I agree with you. I think what they were going for is really beautiful and powerful. They just missed their mark, you know, by an inch. Especially because um, the reason that Kane was trying to float her in episode one of this show was when she used extra blood or supplies to save Jaha. And, you know, he was saying, Kane was saying, you know, I, I'm trying to make sure we survive. And Abby says to him, I want to make sure we deserve to survive. Yeah. She has really lost that ideal herself um, in these last six seasons. And Kane has slowly but surely picked up that ideal. Um, so they could have made a really great comparison there in that moment that, you know, Kane does say like, you know, you once believed this, I want you to believe this again. Um, but I just, again, it's not quite landing. Um, but I do, 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 do hope that the, this is how we get our humanity back line is done now. Like I appreciated it where it is here. But I also want to float this line along with Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I really, I felt like it was a nice button. It's, you know, it's a line we associate a lot with Kane and Abby. And I think it, it works really well in this moment. And it feels like a good ending line for him. Feels very powerful. 
but let the, let it be done. Yeah. Um, I personally do not believe love is weakness. You know, we, I think, have had this discussion a little bit on the show before, and then we've also just seen it portrayed in the show in different ways. Um, I, literally, when Clark was like, love is weakness, and Lex was like, love is weakness, you know? Yeah. But um, I, I don't believe that love is weakness, but I do think that Abby has come to rely on Kane way too much, and she's like, her her love for him has become almost the only thing about her, and that's like her single focus now. Um so I'm hoping that with Kane dying, she will become a much stronger character on her own. A much more interesting character. No, I mean stronger. No, I know. I'm saying interesting for myself. Yeah. I, I, I honestly feel like she has let love become weakness for her um, in many ways just because she's thrown aside all of these other things she cares about, like her freaking daughter who could have been dead and she wouldn't have even known. But even deeper than that, I mean, she's really sacrificed and compromised what made her her and her morality. Yeah, and like and I was, her goodness, and like I was saying earlier in the episode, like she's come to rely on a lot of what Kane says as fact. Whereas I, I do think that she needs to take what he says with a grain of salt. He's not always wrong, but he's definitely not always right, um, or at least in, in you know what I would consider wrong and right, which again is different for everyone. Opinion, <laughs> but I. I was very, very confused last episode with where they were going to go with Abby and her character after what she did to save Kane, um, because it, it did feel just like this tragedy that she was this doctor who really believed in like deserving to survive, and she's just become a shell of who she was. Absolutely. I could not agree more. In fact, I agreed with you many times last episode, but I think I was at my lowest point in my faith for her last episode. Same. I did not think, I mean, and I've said this on the show before, how did the hell did we get back from this? And maybe not on this podcast, <laughs> but I've said it. Yeah. I'm looking at you season three, Bellamy. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like the decision to remove Kane from the equation gives me hope that they understand the logistics of what they need to do to move forward with her with Abby yeah I I do think that she I wouldn't say I feel better about her character this episode no. but given like the the phrasing and the way this episode was written I feel better about where I could see her character going yeah well I think you, what you said earlier is correct in that Kane is her weakness and she cannot be a better character and she cannot be a more interesting character with him there so removing him and forcing her to stand on her own I think is the right choice. Yeah. Not just for Kane's sake, but for Abby's. Yeah. Um, real quick, I wanted to call out, you know, it was so lovely that Indra says goodbye to Kane, you know, first with the arc ritual, um, which just shows how much she loves him and how well she knows him and how strong their friendship was. Yeah. I think it's called the traveler's farewell. Yeah. You know, it goes back. His mom was a religious leader on the arc and he has said this goodbye to many, many people on the show. And it just is a really beautiful button, um, for his ending, but also their friendship. Yeah. And then I also love that that's, you know, she has two different ways to say goodbye. Cause then she follows it up with her own grounder. Goodbye. Yeah. You're gone. Please stay. You're, you're what is it? Your fight is May over. We meet again. Oh, oh, does she say maybe we meet she again? Says, or does she says she says your fight is over and then they all say maybe we, we meet, meet again. again. Okay. So yeah. Um and it was a lovely goodbye. Yeah. I just really thought it was beautifully done. It was. 
And that was the end of the episode. It ended on that scene of Kane floating out in space, like with the planet in the background, which I mean, it was dark, but also hauntingly beautiful. It was a beautiful shot. And you could just see him, tiny little Kane floating away. Yeah. It was so chilling and sad and beautiful. Yeah. Guys, this was a great episode. It was a great episode. <laughs> Let's get into some of our discussion points. Um, <laughs> so, title meanings in this episode. Title is called What You Take With You, which as Sarah very um, astutely, I was going to say smartly, but astutely is a better <laughs> word. I think is a real word. Um, said last episode, what you take with you is a, st- or not last episode, a couple episodes ago, what you take with you is a Star Wars reference, specifically the Empire Strikes Back when Luke is on Dagobah and Yoda tells him that he has to go into this cave and face his greatest fear, which ends up being himself. Um, and the, and then, the darkness inside And the of darkness, him. the potential for darkness that he carries and that he will become his own worst enemy, which he thinks is Vader, but really is himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, I think this is applicable to many of the different characters and all the different threads and plots in this episode. So let's go through these um, just one by one really quickly. Well, too, and just to, like, clarify the context of what you take with you, um, Luke asks Yoda, like, oh, what's in that cave oh, that yes, I have to face? Oh, yes, that's a good point. And Yoda says, only what you take with you, which is literally just meaning, like, it's only what's inside yourself already. It's, it's just your memories and your in your yeah. selfhood. It's just you. It's you. <laughs> um, your identity is what you can take with you. There are no physical weapons here. Um, I just assumed everyone had seen Star Wars. I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? You should go watch Star Wars. Um, okay, so let's get into it. First with Octavia, because I think this is the most prevalent and like yeah. obvious connection here. <laughs> she literally goes into another place in her mind and confronts her past. Confronts herself. And herself <laughs> and literally takes all of those experiences that she's had for this final confrontation and defeats the darkness in her. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty literal, but I love it. I think yeah. we've expressed how much I appreciate this. Um, in its entirety and its form. So I don't want to spend too much time harping on it, but I do think that's like the most obvious connection there with the Star Wars reference. Um, I also want to talk about how this relates to like the Bella of me and the Josephine of it all, because they are also in a cave Mm -hmm. in this episode talking about their feelings and what makes them them. And I think it is really interesting that, you know, they are removed from sanctum. They are alone with each other and they only have their own experiences to help them navigate this trial that they're facing. They're chained up. They're trying to get out of it. They're trying to save Clark or Josephine, depending on who you ask. Um, and when it comes down to it, Bellamy's past and his experiences provides him with faith in Clark and his people and himself. Um, and Josephine's past and experiences only gives her the ability to see defeat in this situation. And also in terms of what Bellamy kind of takes with him when he goes to face darkness is his like single-minded determination to save the people he cares about. Yep. Um, in this situation, it's Clark, but we've also seen him, you know, with Octavia and, and with his other friends too, where it's, he has the potential to do both great good and great bad in the service of protecting the people that he loves. You know, we saw back in season three that he controversially chose to kill 300 grounders who are there to protect him because he was in his mind trying to protect his own people. It's not a good look though. So like, but in this situation, I I do love like the pureness and the belief that he has that he can save someone that he loves, you know? Yeah. 
it's so it's, it's, it, it really like walks that line of you can do good and bad yeah I mean that. that's that's applicable to all characters yeah well that's what I'm saying yeah. like but really with Bellamy I think sure 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 and then um I also think that this is you know, an interesting way of talking about the Kane and Abby and Raven plot point, um, because I think each one of them is working through their own personal trials. I mean, I don't think there's like a physical manifestation of a cave or a hallucinogenic drug that makes you literally confront your evil self. But they are all navigating these difficult challenges in this episode um, and have to make personal decisions for themselves. And I think confronting having a body, having yourself replaced with a new body forces all of them to confront their flaws, their past sins, and what they need to be able, what they need to do in order to move forward and begin healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's especially true for Kane. It's clearly true for Raven. I hope that it proves true for Abby. Um, but I, I think, I think this confrontation with selfhood and what makes up selfhood is really um a really interesting discussion that they they are occupied with this this episode and we also can't miss talking about clark and what clark takes with her um into her battles both internal and external and the best thing i can liken clark to is buffy from buffy the vampire slayer um at the end of one of the season finales Someone asks her, like, I take away your friends, I take away your family, like, what is left? And she says, me, I'm left. Oh, my God, I just got chills. I know, but, like, (laughs) that is Clark, too, is, like, you take away everything that she has, but she has herself, and she has this, like, drive to survive. And in the same way that Bellamy can make, you know, good and bad choices with his own love for others, Clark can make good and bad choices with her own drive to survive, which is, I think, why she really had to grapple this season with whether she wants to survive because at times that has led to some some dark things um in her past whether they were justified or not um but clark really like is her own greatest weapon um and her own greatest fear and i love that about her and i i I hope that we get to see her you know grapple with that even more as the series comes to a close i i just appreciate what you said so much because it's so (laughs) true everything you said is true uh, okay, so that there's a lot to talk about with this. <laughs> and we have Star- a lot of pop culture references. Star to Wars <laughs> line here. Don't ever get me started on Star Wars or Harry Potter, guys. This is a bad, or Buffy for me. It's a bad idea. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about our favorite lines. This was really hard this week. Yeah, for you especially. Oh my god. I usually, it's always tough for me, but this week was damn near impossible. <laughs> so we're going to start with you. Okay, well mine, I mean I did love a lot of lines this episode, but my favorite, like a immediate favorite was when Pike says it's not about what you deserve because I think that really hits down to um, both the core of Octavia but also just the core of a lot of characters in the show that it's like you can't put that responsibility on someone else to make you a better person or to forgive you for what you've done like you really have to work and earn it in your own mind and, and you know in your own sense of self for it to have any sort of meaning yeah I love it it was a fantastic line so here's the thing I had a hard time <laughs> as I said, and I was like flip-flopping between, you know, a Pike and Octavia line or a Bellark line or all of them. So I ended up picking four. I whittled it down from (laughs) nine. (laughs) (laughs) So my first foremost line, my favorite line is, 
Pike says to Octavia, we are what we've done and what's been done to us, which I think perfectly encapsulates everything about this show, everything that we love about this show and its preoccupation with humanity and psychology and selfhood. And I love the new direction this series is going in this season. I'm just obsessed with it. Um, Yeah. And (laughs) also, so that was my first favorite. And then I move into my, I have three for Bellark, which I'm just going (laughs) to read off. The first is, Josephine says, I guess you just care about her more. And then she says, now that's a weird relationship. And then she says, it's exhausting, frankly, which those three things. Has anything been more true on this show? I mean, pretty much everything Bellark related that Josephine said this episode was like, yep, that's on point. Well, I mean, it was like an it was like a megaphone for the fandom. It was like me speaking through Josephine. <laughs> but if you had been doing that, you would have just been like, dude, you love her. Why Admit are- it. <laughs> so you're in love. <laughs> And she loves you. I've seen inside her head. <laughs> um, okay. So those were our favorite lines, plural. Um, favorite scene, I'm just going to say for both of us, it was obviously the the Octavia and Pike scene um, and the ultimate defeat of Blood Rain. It was a glorious scene, and I definitely cried. Like, cried. I hardcore cried. It was emotional and gorgeous and powerful and beautiful, and I want to frame it. For myself, in my heart, forever. (laughs) And again, I just want to take this moment to say thank you to the 100 writers. One more time, it was a gift. Are you saying that this scene is what you're going to take with you going forward? (laughs) But um, but. (laughs) I'm Yes, I am. Um, So that is the episode. The next episode is 610 Matryoshka. Which, again, in case you didn't know, is a Russian nesting doll, which leaves a lot to unpack there. We will get to next episode. In this episode, Russell seeks justice. Meanwhile, Gabriel must make a different choice. And lastly, the Blake siblings reunite. Dun, dun, dun. So I'm very excited for this episode. It sounds great. Um, We get to see a little bit more about Josephine and Gabriel and their past, both separately and together, hopefully. Um, So yeah, we will be back soon. But we will be late because Britt is going to Comic-Con next week. I am going to, guys. I'm sorry. I will be at Comic-Con. There is a 100 panel. The 100 casting crew will be there, as will I. You will be at the panel? No. Okay. (laughs) I will be on site, but I am working during the panel, and I will not be able to go, so I cannot live tweet like I did two years ago. Did you? One year? Yeah, I did. Um, Why are you looking around? I did that. I, I don't remember that, but that's great for you. I did. Um, so I'm so sorry. I have a job. And it's that's really rough, it's buddy. really cool that I get to go to Comic-Con. But it's really hard because I can't go to the 100 panel. It's all right because I'm sure other people are going. And they're also going to live tweets. So yes. we can just hear it secondhand. That's true. <laughs> um, anyway, that is our episode. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K- wow. S-K- a-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Skycast. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I will be at the Perlman 89 And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our episode. Until next time, which will be a little late, like we said, may we meet again. May we meet again, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.